welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumloops Tay Swetmik territory within the unceded traditional lands of Swetmikulu. And today's text, Runaways, is set primarily in Los Angeles, the traditional lands of the Chumash, Tongva, and Keech peoples. And Joe. Mm-hmm. Joe. Yeah. It's book four. It is book four. Yeah. Ah! We celebrated 150 episodes. We took a few weeks off and now we're back and we're ready to talk comics. I feel like we haven't talked comics in forever, Brenna. We haven't talked comics in forever, Joe. And part of that has to do with like that sweet spot intersection of actually a YA comic originally and actually getting made into a film or tv show which is Mm -hmm. surprisingly considering how many comic book movies there are in the world it's a surprisingly narrow like window of intersection yeah yeah unless we wanted to do something like Mm spider-man or i realized actually when we got into the second volume of runaways and cloak and dagger show up i thought oh right there's a cloak and dagger show we could have done that one yeah i didn't even know there was one I think it only ran for a season, maybe two on Freeform, but it was kind of fun because they actually thought that they might be able to work out a crossover between Runaways, which was airing on Hulu, and it never happened because Mm. trying to get two studios to intersect is often very challenging, but also I think both shows got canceled before they could really make it happen. Yeah, and Runaways definitely heads in a different direction than the Cloak and Dagger direction of the comics. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which we'll talk about today. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so much to talk about. This is a wonky <laughs> adaptation. Yeah, there's some parts of it, like, I was really excited, for example, about some of the casting. Like, some mm-hmm. of the casting is just letter perfect. But oh, then yes. the show itself is surprisingly slow for a superhero series. Mm-hmm. And for a property where the whole thing is that it's kids on their own, mm-hmm. we have to spend an awful lot of time with the parents in the TV show. We sure do. Yeah, it's weird. I feel like this might be one of the only times that people hear me say something along the likes of, gosh, I just wish there was less character work. (laughs) Because they spend way too much time on all of these people. But I feel like part of the problem is that instead of the graphic novel, where we're really focusing on six teenagers, we're actually focusing on six teenagers and then five sets. No, five sets of parents. Yeah, so five sets of parents. Yeah. Because the TV show kills off one set of parents arbitrarily. Yes, yes it sure does. <laughs> yeah, so all of a sudden we have 16 characters that we're trying to make into fully flesh three-dimensional people. And we're giving subplots about infidelity. We're doing stuff about jobs in Hollywood. And it, it's just so much. Like the TV show is trying to have its cake and eat it too and then go back for seconds. Yeah, it definitely does take what is, I think, a fairly simple premise and Mm -hmm. overcomplicated in basically every way you can think of. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's ambitious, almost to its own detriment. So I guess we should talk about what it's about, and then we can say all the ways it gets everything wrong. Sure, sure. (laughs) Okay. Um, So Runaways is a superhero comic book series it's a marvel series it's created Mm -hmm. by brian k vaughn and adrian alfona 
And I'm a big Brian K. Vaughn fan. I love yes. a lot of his work. Mm-hmm. Paper Girls, if anybody listening has not yet read that series, it's fantastic. Yeah, we've talked about that before. It is still currently in development. We might hear something about it before the end of the year, because I think they're actually in the middle of shooting it, depending on how, of course, COVID restrictions play into that. That would be exciting. Mm-hmm. The comic series itself is, I think, a fan favorite. It's one that took a while to take off. In fact, Joe, you might not know this, but we read up to issue 18 for today we read yes. the first three volumes um the series was actually canceled at the end of issue 18 and then when the trade paper sales were so high the series mm-hmm. got revived um and we got <laughs> another 12 issues of it from there so i did know that in part because i read this well after the fact so i knew that there was a bunch more but also at the end of every volume they've got this letter that joss whedon wrote and it was basically like wait canceled after 18 issues what's up with that no there's so much more story to be told and it would tease like no runaways is actually coming back and i thought it was an odd choice to include at the end of these i gathered their reprints because they're full-size comics as opposed to you and i were talking about this off the air it was originally published in a different form yeah, so it was originally, I mean, it came out as traditional floppies, what we call those sort of full-size softback comics for single mm-hmm. issues. But then the original trades were in these great little pocketbook sizes. Right. They, they were like the size of a regular paperback novel, basically. Mm-hmm. It's something that Marvel used to do a lot with comics that were intended for a youth audience. I think it was a way of sort of distinguishing them in the bookstore. Right. But it was a really nice size to carry around. Frankly, more comics should do it. Oh, yes. I So I read the first couple of volumes that way. And then when I took them out for this episode, I was almost dismayed to see that they were back in regular comic form because it doesn't feel like it's a good complement to the material. No, I actually think the art looks a lot better in small form than large, which is interesting mm. because it obviously was originally created for a traditional comic book size. But mm-hmm. there's something about the pocket version I guess it's frankly slightly less detailed. I'm not sure that I love the sort of detail background work in this series. And so you get more focus on the characters themselves when it's shrunk right. down a little bit. But, you know, okay. I'm, I ain't no art critic, but that's sort of my feeling on it. <laughs> yeah, I was telling you off air that I didn't love the art. And it's one of the reasons that I ended up sampling this and then not completing it because I just found it. It sounds a little silly to admit out loud but it just looked too cartoony like I wanted a better level of detail or something Mm. either wanted it to be more stylized and less realistic or more realistic and this is falling somewhere in between like half real half stylized and it just doesn't visually please me Mm -hmm. it's interesting because Adrian Alfona, who does the art here, he also is the artist of a series that I know you liked the art on, Ms. Marvel. Oh, I see. I love that. I don't, hmm. Yeah, so it's interesting. There's also a decade in between those two series, right? So it's very likely that his style shifted and changed and and grew. Hmm, Mm hmm. Anyway, so what is I'll this just about? say, yeah. <laughs> so the premise of Runaways, like the way it gets sold is every kid thinks their parents are evil, but mm-hmm. what if yours actually were? <gasps> Bum, bum, bum. Yes. And so the idea here is that 
we meet these mild-mannered sort of six kids. They're all only children in the comic book series. That gets adjusted a little bit in the television show. Um, we have our main character, Alex Wilder. He's a teen prodigy. We have Nico, who's a witch, or at least... Well, she's goth at the beginning. She eventually discovers that she's also got some witchy powers. Yes. Carolina, who's this beautiful blonde child of actresses. Mm -hmm. Gertrude Yorks, who is kind of the political, mouthy, outspoken one. Um, We find out in the comic series that the other parents all kind of hate her. Um, Mm -hmm. But it turns out she has a telepathic link to a dinosaur. Yep. Chase is abused by his father and uh, has a really negative relationship with him, but eventually sort of takes on his father's powers. Molly is the youngest one. She's 11. And we will come to discover that she is a mutant. And Mm -hmm. what happens is these six kids who think their parents are getting together once a year for a charity event. Well, they actually stumble upon what their parents are actually doing, which is making a sacrifice. A human sacrifice. Which we find out later is like... To giants. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those things where if you mistakenly picked this up and didn't spot the Marvel, (laughs) you would be very surprised later on when it's like, okay, we're talking about mutants. Okay, we're talking about aliens. Okay, we're talking about time travel. Okay, we're talking about giants who live underwater and arrive through like a weird teleportation thing and they want to kill every human on Earth. Yeah, so the idea is that these giants uh, want a human sacrifice once a year in order to centralize their power. And once they have the height of their power, they're going to destroy civilization. Mm -hmm. But they will allow these six, well, 12, I guess. They will allow these, Mm -hmm. oh no, they're only going to allow six people to survive. They're going to choose six members of this group called the Pride. They're going to choose six of them to Uh, survive and what happens over time is that as these couples their six couples as they decide to have children they all kind of make a pact that they will ask that their only children be the ones who are given eternal life and Mm -hmm. and saved for the future so it's like they're weirdly doing it for their kids but also they're mob bosses and like Mm -hmm. violent criminals so yeah yeah, it's very convoluted (laughs) It is definitely convoluted. I found it a little uncomfortable that the reason they all have children is revealed in volume three to be because one couple got pregnant. So then they all decide, let's all have children. And then we can, I just like, oh, I don't think having kids works that way. (laughs) Well, it is funny that the mutant, so there's a pair of mutants, there's a pair of aliens, there's a pair Mm -hmm. of scientists, there's a pair of wizards, and there's a pair of criminals, basically. Yeah, which is also deeply uncomfortable when you're talking about the only black... The only black characters, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the only one of the kids who turns their back on the kid group is the black character as well. Uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But the mutants, of course, they're not sure if they can even have kids, right? Not all mutants can procreate, as anybody Mm -hmm. who is very familiar with the X-Men knows. And so that's the reason why all the kids are the same age, basically, except for Molly, who is 11. It takes her parents longer to get there. Right. Yeah. So that's basically the premise. The kids decide that when they try to turn their parents into the police, they realize that their parents, they have sort of people everywhere. So the mm-hmm. police can't be trusted. No one can really be trusted. No one in authority can be trusted. And so the kids decide 
that they will work together to try to defeat their parents and also atone for their parents' sins. So they want to take the powers that they've inherited from their parents and use them for good. Yeah, so I love this conceit, and I can absolutely Mm -hmm. understand why it caught on the way it did, because it's not just, oh, you think that your parents are bad and then they are, but it's also who hasn't dreamed of discovering that you actually can steal their powers and then go on the run, right? It's sort of a subversion of the chosen one arc, right? Like Mm -hmm. these kids are chosen ones, but not because they come from an eternal lineage of good, which is usually what happens to the chosen ones, but they are chosen ones because they're making a conscious decision to turn away from their parents and what their parents have done, right? Yes. Yeah. And of course, they, you know, they discover like a secret layer that Chase knows and they decide that they're going to fight crime, but they're kind of crappy at it because mm-hmm. they are only teenagers. The whole subplot where they discover a vampire who is also a mutant, I was just like, oh, no, what are we doing right now? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot. And apparently that character comes back in the Avengers and is like a character who repeats then which is weird to me because i don't really get the appeal of him Mm -mm. but i do like how some of this ties back into larger stories that we're telling like we do get an appearance by captain america we do get as we mentioned off the top an appearance by cloak and dagger so this is very firmly set within the marvel universe so there's an opportunity to Oh, man, I was about to say groom young readers into paying attention to other comic properties. But I like the way that it kind of gently intersects with some of the other titles in this world. So if you were interested in Cloak and Dagger, you might say, oh, well, I like their powers. Maybe I want to read their adventures. But if not, they show up and it's pretty evident what they're doing and they're out in a single volume. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think this is a good first comic which is kind of what it was intended to be it came out as part of marvel's tsunami imprint and the tsunami imprint was like let's try to attract young readers into the marvel universe Mm -hmm. and also it was sort of trying to capitalize on the early 2000s boom in manga sales among young readers Uh, okay so which might actually i wonder if that has something to do with With the the art particular style of art that um that we see in this comic yeah I can definitely see it in Nico and Alex's hair. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> I really like the casting of Nico and Alex, though, because they look like they stepped directly out of the comic book and into oh, the yeah. TV series. Made me super happy. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, they clearly spent a lot of time to make sure that they were getting the look of at least the teen actors accurate. It's just then what they do with the storytelling that I think a lot of fans of the comic didn't always love. Yeah, I mean, well, I'll save it. Save it for when we get there. <laughs> <laughs> so what do we think of the way that Brian K. Vaughan writes this? Because I guess I'm so used to reading his slightly more adult fare. Like, I've read mm-hmm. Saga. I've read Why the Last Man. Mm-hmm. Paper Girls is probably closer in tone. But even that, like, we are liberally dropping the F-bomb on the yeah. regular. And this feels very almost preteen like middle grade Mm -hmm. friendly in terms Mm -hmm. of the way characters are talking the depth of the conflict that they're experiencing it's actually a little disappointingly shallow for my taste Mm, that's interesting I don't find it that but I think I really 
buy into the backstory for these characters, mm. maybe more than it actually earns. You know how sometimes you just feel more connected to yes to a comic. I mean, 2003 was very much an era in comics where I sort of think of it a little bit as the beginning of like the grim dark period, right? Where everybody oh. had to have like a bleak backstory. Mm-hmm. And so there was something refreshing to me about coming to Runaways where the bleak backstory kind of gets like dealt with very quickly (laughs) and then the series goes on to be about these young people right who do ultimately like have little love stories and Mm -hmm. and other kinds of stories so you know we move past volume three which we haven't for today but the characters do get to kind of grow up and past what their parents intended for them and it very much is i think a coming of age comic series if that makes sense right and so for me because it came at a time that we were also having things like you know civil war comes right after this and in fact there is a runaways civil war crossover oh okay yeah yeah the young avengers go to la and they help the runaways fight the government hmm Okay. It's very Civil War. Um, <laughs> yes, of course. And so there was so much bleakness in comics at this time. And that's not unique to comics, right? The the mm. era around the post-9-11 era, yeah. Iraq War, Afghanistan War, like that period in pop culture in America in general is incredibly bleak and dark. Mm. And so I like Runaways as a way of saying like, yeah, you can have a grim backstory and also a rollicking adventure. <laughs> yeah, like you can almost overcome it and then go on to live a slightly more frivolous, more just actiony life, right? Yeah, and I think I guess part of what was so frustrating to me about the TV series moving so slowly is that in the amount of it that I watched, I never <laughs> got to see the kids get out from under their parents, right? Yo. Which is, you know, basically by the end of the second or third issue, the kids are all bought in that their parents are evil and we've got <laughs> a plan and we're moving on, right? Yeah, whereas in the TV show, so I've seen up to the middle part of the second season, and it ran for three seasons, but they don't run away until the final episode of the first season. So you get 10 full hours of them living under their parents' thumbs and trying to, I guess, negotiate how best to do that. And it's tricky, right? Because in the comics, they repeatedly refrain about how they don't have a change of clothes. They barely have enough money. Like they magically find this old hotel that has fallen into disrepair in the side of a cave or a mountain that Mm. Chase just happens to know. It's very much convenient that these children don't starve and or die. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And this is a way in which I would I would agree with your assertion that it's maybe middle grade. I would say maybe older middle grade because like there mm-hmm. are dead people. Uh, fair. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, the comic and as a result, the TV show are not very interested in the practicalities of running away. Right. No. Like the the goal is just to avoid the police for as long mm-hmm. as possible and try not to let their big glowing alien friend be too visible. Right. Those are the right. those that's the level of worries they can handle. And. We do have this uh, moment in the comics where they're all hungry, so they take their $19 to go and buy, like, hot mm-hmm. dogs. But there's never any sense of, like, well, what are you going to eat tomorrow? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Even the idea, like, that dinosaur has to eat something. What are you feeding it? Yeah, I don't know. Parent bits? <laughs> so when in the first three volumes, we basically get the whole arc of the the parents so um they are all 
defeated by the end of the mm-hmm. third issue. And we also, or the end of the third volume, sorry. And we also find out that Alex has betrayed his friends in order to stay loyal to his parents. And then he's just immediately killed. So I never yeah. got that far the first time around. I think mm-hmm. I stopped somewhere around the vampire mutant storyline in volume two. So mm-hmm. I loved that. I thought yep. that it was so enjoyable to just see oh no i turned on my friends i actually support my parents and then you just got blasted (laughs) by these giants yep incinerated by the gibberim and i do i agree with you part of it is that it's such a nice end to that arc it's Mm -hmm. very rare that where a comic series gets canceled has any kind of like payoff for readers it's one of the reasons why reading comics is just such a constantly heartbreaking experience Mm -hmm. but in this case we actually get quite a lot of closure for three volumes of comics it's it's nice yeah, no, this this was a really good run. Like it felt like just the right amount of story for how many issues they dedicated to it. And then, you know, I was happy to know that it continued on because there was demand for it and they went on to have other adventures. But this also felt like, oh, what a perfect place to stop. Yeah, I will say volume four and five are pretty messy. Brian K. Vaughan leaves the series Right, as he is at a certain point. (laughs) Yes, he loves doing that. Um, And it's not very, it's uneven. I would say that it's uneven. And then one thing I haven't read yet, though, is that there was a reboot in 2017. Right. Which is Rainbow Rowell's reboot with Mm -hmm. Chris Anka as artist, who is an artist I really enjoy. Okay. We didn't get a chance to check it out for today, but I think... It's just worth knowing for listeners that if you're a fan, Chris Anka often works with Chip Zdarsky, and so he has a very kind of, I would say, quirky art style. Right. And all the creators came back together for the last issue of Rainbow Rowell's run because that made it 100 issues of Runaways in some format. Okay. And so they all kind of came together for a special issue. So at some point, I will at least read that. But yeah, just so folks know if they're listening. Yeah, or maybe if folks have actually read Rainbow Rowell's run, oh, yeah, let, let us, us know. know what you think, if it changes anything about the way that you either approach this first run, or if you preferred it, or any of that kind of fun stuff. And actually, you know, I know Rainbow Rowell is sometimes a controversial figure amongst our listeners for right. the ways she has dealt with race in her own writing. So I'm curious to know mm. if some of the troubling racial politics of Brian K. Vaughn's run are redeemed in any way in Rainbow Rowell's run or if they get worse. Yeah. And folks, we should note that if you haven't read the comics... It's not the most egregious racial depiction that I've ever seen, but it was definitely like there's a moment where you get to see the Wilders backstory of how they mm-hmm. got there before they were first called up to the Pride. They're definitely like a classic white person's fear of black people mm-hmm. having guns doing crime. And you're just like, oh, oh, no. But it's it's fleeting. It's like, that's what it is. And then we move on. And then they're successful and rich. Yes. But they're successful and rich as criminals, right? Like, Mm -hmm. they are the members of the Pride who are explicitly criminals and mob bosses. Mm -hmm. I think it's also telling that the Wilders get pregnant first. That seems like another classic Mm -hmm. trope. And then, of course, that Alex is the untrustworthy one of the kids, right? So it's like, it's it's not explicitly racist. Mm -hmm. It's a series of racialized tropes that when they're all together in one series that you're reading all at once and not Mm -hmm. maybe an issue a month feels very early 2000s Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah 
Well, maybe that's a good place to transition over to the yeah. TV show because we do have the luxury of about a decade's worth of maybe doing a little less of that. And then they don't. But yes, let's do it. <laughs> hey, Nico. I haven't wanted to talk to you all day. I wanted to get everybody back together. And I know that it, that it can't be like it was. The truth? I miss you guys. I could build a big machine. I hope you're right about this not being a big deal. The last thing they're interested in is what their parents are doing. You gonna let us in? Who are they? Why is my mom's purse here? What kind of charity meeting is this? None of our parents are who we thought. Something really weird is going on. I have so many questions. No matter what we are, we can't let our parents keep getting away with this stuff. We cannot let anyone undermine what we're doing. So the TV show was developed by some folks that you may recognize, Brenna. Maybe. So yeah, the series was developed by Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage, and they are the individuals who are behind the OC, which I keep telling you to watch and you never Mm -hmm. listen to me. I do not know. (laughs) And Gossip Girl, both iterations, the first one and the latter one that just started on the CW. You know, at some point, you could just make me watch it by programming it, right? (laughs) I just think you would actually really enjoy it, although it is the richest white person kind of show you could ever watch. Mm. In that way, it's enjoyable, like in a Dawson's Creaky kind of way. See, I love a Dawson's Creaky kind of enjoyableness. There we go. (laughs) So this TV show did run for three years. It began in November of 2017, three seasons, and then was canceled in 2019. I'll just quickly run you through the cast list. So as our runaways, we have Renzi Feliz as Alex, Lyrica Okana as Nico, Virginia Gardner as Carolina, Ariel Bearer as Gert, Greg Culkin as Chase, and Allegra acosta as molly and then for the parents or the pride we have angel parker as katherine wilder ryan sands as jeffrey wilder annie worshling as leslie dean kip pardue as frank dean bridget branna as stacy yorks kevin wiseman as dale yorks i know him from alias so he was one of the adults i was really excited to see hmm. uh ever Carradine as janet stein james marsters as victor stein and of course james marsters was famous on buffy and then Brittany ishibashi as tina minaru and James Yegashi as robert minaru and then you won't have seen him because he only appears as like a deeply scarred slash flaky figure in these first three episodes, but that is going to become Julian McMahon as Jonah, and that is Leslie Dean's father. So the sacrifices are actually going to resuscitate him as opposed to feeding giants. Oh, okay. And Julian McMahon is famous for portraying bad guys in the Marvel Universe, so he played Victor Von Doom in the first Fantastic Four movie. Oh, okay. It's a giant cast. 
It's a giant <laughs> cast. It's too big. Nobody quite gets enough time, even yeah. though they are obviously very interested in trying to give everybody their own little piece of the pie. Yeah, and I think this is generally the biggest problem in the TV show's desire to give strong backstories to all the parents mm-hmm. is that's 12 people. So yep. before you've even gotten anything about the kids out, you've mm-hmm. you've spent time on 12 different characters and it's too much you know the comic series does a very good job of knowing when a little bit of information about the parents is useful and when Mm -hmm. to just get out of the way and let us focus on the kids and the tv series never figures that out frankly yeah and and as i kind of teased off the top like i don't know that we needed to have an affair between robert Mm -hmm. and janet that they're keeping from their respective spouses Mm -hmm. or the fact that janet is an abused woman or the fact that robert and tina haven't had sex since their second daughter died the year before which is like the doom and gloom that hangs over a lot of these first couple of episodes and Mm -hmm. it's like Wait, so you artificially created a dead sister to Mm -hmm. do what? Like, what is the impetus in terms of driving conflict here? And it's basically just so that we can say, oh, well, the kids haven't spent time together and we don't like to come together as a group because of this dead kid. But there's no payoff. They also interweave a whole bunch of things. Like, I only watched the first three episodes, but I read up on where the show heads. And like, Mm -hmm. I guess eventually we find out that it's not just Carolina's parents who are aliens. Gert's mother is also an alien. Mm. There's just a whole bunch of extra layers yes. by continuing to keep the parents part of the narrative that mm-hmm. feels like the show doesn't really understand what was interesting about the comic book, which was this idea at its core, this elevator pitch. What if mm-hmm. supervillains' kids existed? which is basically the premise right i don't think we get enough of that in the series now in fairness i've only seen the first three episodes but the like basically the entire second episode is parental backstory Mm -hmm. yeah it basically acts as a two-part pilot but overall what it ends up doing is signaling oh the parents are as important as the Mm -hmm. kids and i think it's in part because the show yes misunderstands what the appeal is But it's also trying to generate fodder to keep a TV show sustained. Like, we're clearly making eyes at turning this into a multi-season arc, which it makes sense in principle. Like, you, you need to have enough content. You need to have enough characters to sustain yourself. But then part of me thinks you have all of the storylines from the (laughs) comics that you seem to be only partially interested in adapting. Well, yeah. I mean, this is something we've talked about with YA television properties before, Joe, which is it seems sometimes like in spite of all the disposable income and time that teenagers have mm-hmm. and are willing to give to shows, um, it often seems like television in particular never quite believes that teenagers will be a sustaining audience yeah. and always seems to want to circle back to the parents and like yeah i'm thinking about you know the way like riverdale is obsessed with the parent plot lines and mm-hmm. all the all the parental stuff we got out of gossip girl and like right i remember back when we finally talked about degrassi and you were like oh this is so refreshing the parents are not here it's like yeah it's <laughs> yes. kind of fun to not have to think about stupid parents <laughs> yeah i prefer them a bit more like how they're portrayed in the comics give me a little bit so that i can understand 
where they're coming from if need be like if they're going to play a significant part in driving that conflict then sure give me a little bit but i do prefer them to hang out in the background like there's Mm -hmm. a scene in either the second or the third episode where the minoru couple go for a really awkward dinner oh yeah i didn't need to see that she takes off her underwear at the table and I'm just like, who is this for? Like, why are we meant to care about this? I get it. Sexy adults. Like, everyone in the show is ridiculously attractive. It's like, a it's hot, 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 show. hot, everyone. Yeah. But also, I'm not supposed to care about them because they're villains. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, it's twofold, right? Like, on the one hand, it's supposed to be a show for teens, in which case, hopefully we center on the teens. And mm-hmm. on the other hand you're right these are the villains you don't need us to have an emotional connection to them they're bad guys well or make the show about them and yeah care less about the kids then like pick a lane and kind of stick to it a little bit more because Mm -hmm. this is so overstuffed but needlessly overstuffed like these episodes are also extra long they're Mm -hmm. anywhere between 49 and 54 minutes which is about at its most, 10 minutes more than a longer traditional network TV episode. And it never feels earned. Like we spend the entire first season watching the adults prepare to dig a giant hole in the ground. <laughs> Why? Oh my god. Oh my god, Joe, when you say it that way. <laughs> yeah, like I, I can't in any good faith encourage folks to watch more than they already have it mostly if you're just not enjoying it like if you watch the first couple of episodes and you feel oh it's a little bit slow it's a little bit draggy it never picks up it is like this the whole way through which i'm sure for some people is fine you really gravitate to the characters or you didn't have the baggage of having read the comics but i don't know it just never feels as compelling as it should be given the logline and the premise but with that said we can recognize some things that it's doing well (laughs) I I realize we're coming down really hard on this. No, I know. That's the segue I was trying to get to. Can I just say one thing I really enjoyed, Joe, Mm -hmm. which is not common for me? I really enjoyed the soundtrack for this. Okay. I thought they did a good job of sort of keeping it... I sound like an old person to say this, but the (laughs) soundtrack feels very youthful. Okay. And I often felt like even when we were mired in the adult Mm storylines, it was like the soundtrack reminded me that this is actually a show for teens if that makes sense like i think that one of the problems with the show in general that we keep coming back to is this idea of not being clear about its audience Mm -hmm. but actually the visual signature of the show and the auditory signature of the show are really compelling for a ya audience i guess is what i'm trying to say although i did complain to joe that i had to turn the contrast on my laptop all the way up to see some of the scenes in the basement why, why, why are we shooting everything so dark, everybody? <laughs> <laughs> See, I didn't have as much of an issue with that, but I get a lot of natural light in my apartment. So mm. half the time I'm just like, I need the equivalent of noise dampening uh, <laughs> <laughs> blinds in my apartment, which I know they, they have blackout blinds, but I only have them in the bedroom because <laughs> that's where mm. I sleep. But <laughs> I found a lot of the daytime shots very reflective of the fact that this was shot and set in los angeles like i found the daytime stuff very brightly lit and it has a kind of sunny signature which is evident even in the credit sequences right which are just uh still shots of various los angeles places yeah the opening montage and the daytime scenes there's something very bright and colorful about it which for me i guess is what signals 
YA-ness in a strange mm-hmm. way. I guess if we're drawing a distinction between a lot of other Marvel TV content, which does tend to be on the sort of darker side. Right. And so I liked that about it. And I think that in general, the cinematography, like the shooting, like the costumes, the casting, like the look of the show is really compelling. Mm-hmm. I think ultimately that makes it more disappointing when it moves so slowly because it feels right. like it's going to be like a fast paced cinematic mm-hmm. kind of experience. And then it's nope. not. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, yeah. it's kind of funny. I almost really now want to make us do Poke and Dagger because it is aggressively dark and grim mm, and mm. the visual signature as well as the storylines is quite quite a bit darker which is unique because it aired on Freeform which is like where we got the Fosters and yeah. uh, a bunch of other kind of lighter fare so yeah. it, it's an interesting contrast but I agree with you I really do like the sunny vibe I do like this cast, like, even though I'm complaining Mm -hmm. that there's so many of them, the only person that I end up kind of aggressively being meh on is Ariella Bearer as Gert. And it's Mm. just because she is leaning so heavily, like, what they've done is they've overcompensated by making her that teenager who is so woke, so progressive that Mm -hmm. she just comments on absolutely everything and it's there in the comic but hearing it out loud you're just like oh yeah I don't like you (laughs) I totally agree I also found her casting to be the least sort of on point partly because part of what makes Gert sort of resentful about the world is that she has spent her life socializing up against people like Carolina and Nico who are beautiful and Mm -hmm. sort of fascinating and interesting and she's very plain like that's part of the deal and so obviously in a cast like this there's not going to be one plain person Mm -hmm. (laughs) but there's something about her casting and then the sort of hyping up of that Disney-fied riot girl Mm mm-hmm is just grating for me. Yeah, she looks like she stepped off the set of The Descendants. And Mm -hmm. they were like, cool, you've already got your chunky purple streaks ready. Let's start shooting. (laughs) I also admittedly don't love Molly, but I think it's partially just because she never rings authentically true as Eleven to me. She seems like she seems the same age as all of the rest of them. Yeah but they still give her the dialogue of an 11-year-old, and it's a little tiresome. Yeah, she's physically too large for the Mm -hmm. sort of I'm about to have my first period kind of plot lines that they keep giving her, which is, you know, it's it's a confounding with her emergent mutantness. Of course. The other thing I don't like about her character is this is a classic example of the TV show trying to do too much. Like, Mm -hmm. why do her parents have to be dead? Like, why does she have to be an orphan? Oh, 100%. Why? Yeah. And it's eventually revealed that Leslie Dean blew them up because I think they wanted to leave Pride mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like that. And you're like, okay, cool, whatever. Yeah. And <laughs> one thing we haven't said, Joe, is that the cover group for Pride in the TV series is a cult, basically. Mm-hmm. So instead of the Gibberum being giants, this is the Church of Gibberum. Yes. And... Yeah, it's it basically feels like Scientology with human sacrifice, frankly. 100% and better tech, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and again, feels unnecessary, right? Like, uh, um. I would actually like to watch a series. 
No, I don't mean that it's not interesting. It's just like, I would watch a series about the Church of Gibberum, like Mm -hmm. a Marvel take on cults. Definitely a show I would watch. But in the context of this, to me, it felt like just one more thing about the adult world that we have to spend too much time learning about. Oh, I see. Okay. Yes, I can agree with that. I guess part of it is that I think it feels like a very modern contemporary choice. And also because like, can you imagine trying to depict giants and like an underwater battle i just don't think some of the more outlandish moments from the comic would work so i kind of like this as a bit of an insidious institution and and the fact that the pride has gotten so successful and they've all mutated it to become the most important people in los angeles i actually think the tv show because we're spending more time with them Mm -hmm. gives us a better sense of what that accumulation of wealth and privilege looks like in terms of their reach across the city Mm -hmm. so i did like that i do want to shout out renzi and lyrica as alex and nico because Mm. i think they're the most compelling they also have the best chemistry for sure they have really good chemistry, and I, I will also acknowledge the first time around I did not like Virginia Gardner as Carolina. I was just kind of, uh, she's pretty and boring, but she's actually a very talented actress. I've seen her in a bunch of other things since then, and I don't know that the show always trusts her to do heavy lifting emotional stuff, mm-hmm. but the kind of earnest, burgeoning lesbianism that she feels for Nico is actually better handled in the show because, of course, they have the benefit of more time. So you get to see a little bit of that chemistry and that romance actually develop. Like, they kind of take it there for a little bit. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, overall, it was interesting. I didn't mind the show as much because I knew all of these issues going into it the second time around. So I was almost oh, more patient and forgiving. But the first time around, I was very frustrated. Yeah, I can see that. And I could also see how if you had already kind of not loved your first engagement with the comics, mm-hmm. that the series would be like, okay, you took everything that wasn't super working about the comics and you just did more of it. So thanks for that. Yeah, thanks for piling it on. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) Uh, Okay. Bingo? Bingo. Bingo! Not a good bingo. Okay, so folks, we have redeveloped this board. We have smashed a couple of these categories together. We brought a couple of old ones back, and I'm excited to see how we fare. Joe is very, very, very hopeful that we're finally going to start getting some lines four years into this project. (laughs) (laughs) To the point that I actually gave us an arbitrary like, nope, that's right. In a conventional bingo game, you would get a free square. So now we get a free square. You're right. You're right. That's fair. Okay. I am going to say Magic Supernatural. Oh, yeah. I actually got it done with more of it. Like I was missing the costumes and mm-hmm. like I, I really wanted Nico's parents to be like sorcerers in this. And yet she just has a staff. That's the thing about the TV adaptation, right? It makes the decision to tell the story a little bit more straight out. So we yes. lose some of the uh, fantastical elements. Yeah. Obviously CGI. Oh, yeah. 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 Abuse in the comic for how Chase is treated. Although I guess there's some of that in the in the tv series as well but it's more his mom it's very much his mom yeah um dead body for (laughs) sure several (laughs) naturally big old house porn for the adaptation oh yeah i mean we can see that wealth on display right definitely um i think that might be everything i have okay i'm gonna do aged up for molly nice 
I'm going to go stunt casting. You can fight me on this, but honestly, several of these parents, and particularly James Marsters, knowing his ties to famous genre texts, like, as soon as I saw him, I was like, oh, okay, they knew what they were doing. Oh, I'm not going to fight you on that. I don't know who anybody is to argue for or against stunt casting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you think we could make an argument for the chosen ones, plural? Kind of, yeah. In the comic more than the series, because they're all going to be the sacrifices or the the non, the parents are all going to sacrifice themselves for the only children. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I'm going to do queer secondary. Oh, um, yeah. Well, she's not really secondary, but the yeah, queerness that's... is a secondary plot line. There we go. We'll allow it. Did that get us a line? It does not. Oh, very for close, though. sakes. <laughs> all right well we tried try again next week i don't know (laughs) (laughs) it's true it's true all right folks so if you would like to let us know your thoughts on runaways especially yeah as joe said off the top if you've read the rainbow rowl version we'd love to hear about it because i don't know neither of us are going to get to it anytime soon no (laughs) you can email us anything long form hkhspod at gmail.com or you can find us on the twitters at hkhspod or on the hashtag hkhspod joe mm-hmm. where do they find you personally to yell at you about oh what? jeepers i don't know <laughs> i don't know you can reach me at <laughs> beast on my remote and that's the letter b you don't have to yell at me you can just be nice i was gonna say the important thing is that you yell at joe it doesn't really matter if i don't have a wow. topic for you this week <laughs> Wow, and this is the woman who says that she wants to do Dawson's Creek on the show, and yet... Mm. <laughs> I'm... Oh, actually, yeah, if you want to let us know no, how much you no, want us to do Dawson's Creek it. on the show, you can find me at Brenna C. Gray, that's Gray with an A. Next week, we are going to stay in comics land a little bit longer, mm-hmm. and uh, for our next mini-sode, we're going to take a look at Nimona by Noelle Stevenson which is an extremely cute comic and if you haven't read it yet you should pick it up in time for our discussion. I was gonna say this feels like the gentlest easiest way to get you back into a realm of fantasy where you can't (laughs) complain because it's it's totally queer it's very fun it's very feminist I really enjoy this one it's a delight. It is a delight it is a delight. Joe! Yes. You picked the best book for the next book club. Yeah, so we're going to give you about three weeks to read this next one. And since it falls into October, I thought we should try to do something a little spooky, Brenna. Spooky and also indigenous. And also, we finally admitted we're not going to get any more of the TV show trickster. So we're just going to read the books as book club. Yeah, (laughs) sad face, but also good for us because it just means we get to go ahead and read this book. Yeah. So we're going to read the second book in the trickster potential trilogy. That's what we know of. And this one is called Trickster Drift. Yes. So Trickster Drift by Eden Robinson. If you haven't, you should go back and listen to our episode on Trickster. Son of a Trickster is the book, right? And then Mm -hmm. the TV show is called Trickster. Um, You should go back and check that out. Also, you know, read up on some of the stuff Eden Robinson has said about that whole experience and join us to read Trickster Drift for the next book club. Oh, Joe, I'm so excited. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you've got your reading assignment. We are finally back for book four. Mm -hmm. Uh, So until next time, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. 